Welcome to Photo Taco, the only show with photography tips you can learn in the time it takes to eat a taco. Or perhaps a burrito. Photo Taco! Hey everybody, welcome into another episode of Photo Taco on the Improved Photography Network. I'm your host, Jeff Harmon. Thanks for spending a few minutes of your day with me. Today I'm joined by a very special guest, which I think you are all grateful for so that you don't have to listen to just me for 30 minutes. I am willing to bet the majority of you listening have never heard of our guest today, but I think you'll be glad that I had him come on. I have been a fan of a website called cameramemoryspeed.com for quite a while now, and I was able to convince Jeff Steinwan to come on the show to talk about the extensive testing he has done with memory cards in various camera bodies. This episode might be a little confusing with double Jeffs here. We'll see how that goes. But uh, welcome and thanks so much for taking time out to join the show today, Jeff. Hey, thank you. I'm looking forward to talking about uh, memory cards and helping your listeners understand some more about them. Very good. Did I say your last name right? Yes, you got it. <laughs> All right. Very good. It's always a danger. I should have asked you before we got started if I had it right, but here we go. Okay. So I've been visiting cameramemoryspeed.com for at least two years now. I stumbled across it when I was looking for information about how fast the memory card slots were on the cameras that I've owned. After build, buying my first DSLR, it was a Canon 60D back in 2011, well, I saw these announcements from SD card manufacturers on cards that were coming out that had faster read and write speeds being made available, but I figured, you know, I thought I knew just enough about this to think there might be a reason that the memory card slots inside the cameras can't take full advantage of that speed. And sure enough, after finding Jeff's site, I could verify that it really only matters what kind of card I bought up to a certain point because the card slot in the camera only goes so fast. We're going to get more of that in just a second. I have a whole list of questions that I want to go through with you, Jeff, if that's okay. And since I'm confident most listeners have never heard of your really good website, which I will be sure to provide a link to in the show notes, why don't we start off with the first question being kind of telling us about what your website is. Sure. Yeah, I started the site about three years ago. Um, it basically grew out of my interest in photography. Um, I, I'm into photography. I'm into technical stuff, so I'm kind of all over the place with that. Um, but at the time, I had a D800, and it's got both a compact flash and SD card slot. And I had fast SD cards, and I was using those, and I was wondering, what about compact flash? You know, it will make a difference if I put compact flash in there. Will it be faster? Can I download images faster? Um, so I had these questions. Um, did some re research online. I found a few uh, forum posts, you know, suggesting different cards and things, but no real way to tell, you know, exactly what's going to be faster. Does it even make a difference if I'm going to spend all this extra money on a fast card? Um, and also, just these names kept popping up: Sandisk, Sandisk, Lexar. Um, they were the most common recommendations. If you look in the Nikon manual, in the back of the manual, it says approved SD cards, and they've always got Lexar, Sandisk in there yeah. with some others. And I'm just wondering, you know. Which one is the best one? Is one faster than the other? Am I wasting my money? So that's basically the whole thing that got me started with the site, and it just took off from there. Um, just in the last three years, I've just added more memory cards, more cameras, and refined the testing methods. Just trying to make a really good resource that's up to date so that photographers can figure out you know, more about memory cards and which ones to buy. Very good. So yeah, you need to go check it out, listeners, if you're interested in kind of seeing your specific camera model and what cards have performed the best in them. He's got some fabulous information about those 
those comparisons that are out there. All right. So that, that's a good start to this. Let's see. We, I have 10 more questions and then there's even some listener questions. We'll see if we can fit in at the end. Kind of depends on how long it takes for us to get through them. But I want to get through my 10. It's all about me. <laughs> so, so here we go. The first one of those 10, I want you to walk us through kind of the testing process you use with the memory cards and the cameras, kind of the specific thing you're doing, combining those two things together, which is something I haven't seen done on a, almost anywhere else. Okay, sure. Um, there's a couple different types of tests I do, actually. Um, one is using card readers, and I'm running more of a traditional benchmark. Um, I use Crystal Dismark. There's other benchmarks out there that do the same thing. These are programs you normally run to test um, all kinds of media, like hard drives, um, SSD. Um, you can run on memory cards, flash drives. And it just gives you a basic maximum speed. It's going to run these different tests, and it's going to tell you um, how fast can it read? How fast can it write? In sort of like an idealized situation. Um, there's all kinds of different parameters you can set up in those. But basically, I run that just to give a quick overview of the card. Is it really going to perform at these speeds that the manufacturer claims? Um, and that gives a, a, the basics behind the card and a, an easy way to compare it. Um, so kind of a way to get through the marketing <laughs> marketing numbers that are put on these cards to find out what the real numbers are. Yeah, exactly. And most of these manufacturers are pretty honest about it. Some are more conservative than others, but um, it gives a good starting point. Yeah. Um, but the the main the main part of the site that I'm interested in here is the camera testing. And with that, you have to have a very consistent setup. So I've got a detailed test scene that remains constant, um, controlled lighting, um, tripod setup with a remote release timer. I use a manual lens, manual focus, manual aperture settings. Um, and then I go through each camera and try to figure out all the different settings to try and isolate the, um, the factors that affect the write speed. So on Nikon cameras, for example, you've got a lot of different uh, distortion settings, um, noise reduction, and those type of things actually slow down the processing in the camera and it right. slows down the write speed. So I want to go through and basically take all those out, disable everything that I can. Um, so I'm left with um, the camera just taking these pictures and writing them to the card at maximum speed. And another thing that's interesting about this is um, some cameras I've found that actually internally process the image and they're actually slower with certain image subjects. Um, doesn't happen very often, but, but, it, but it can happen. So I try and um, basically find the test scene that I have is, is a detailed test scene, but I actually have an alternate one I've used with some of these cameras where that, that is a factor. Huh. Um, but um, overall, I'm, I'm basically taking uh, in continuous shooting mode the highest frame rate possible. And I've set up my test scene to produce large image files. And that's important because I see people testing these cameras and they've got their lens cap on and they're just shooting like mad. Well, that's not a good test because that's just testing blank images. And if, for example, you're shooting in JPEG, those are like one right. one, Tiny. one one kilobit files, yeah. and that's nothing, and you're not really testing what's what reality is going to be. Right. Um, now, my test is set up with a detailed test scene, so it's it's not quite the same as you get like if you're shooting sports with a, a large aperture, and so you've got your image uh, isolated against a blurred background. Right. That's not quite as demanding, but I try and set up the, the most difficult test possible to sh really show what the memory card is doing. Sure, well you can't, you have to get a controlled environment that sports situation is just not controlled enough, right? Yes, yes, definitely. You want the image to remain the same throughout the test, and you want the exact same image coming off 
with every card that you test. So do you like set up video cameras to record the the read and write lights on the card or how do you get the detailed start and stop times? Yeah, actually that's kind of involved involved over time. Um, when I started, I was actually just using like a stopwatch. Um, and that's of course not very accurate, but with only a few cards and just basic testing, that, that'll do. Um, in recent times, I've been, everything's recorded on video at high frame rate. And I use that to review and analyze um, the test. And instead of using the access light, which I actually have moved away from, uh-huh. I'm actually using the shot interval um, after the buffer's full. Okay. Um, so when you're shooting with a camera, um, it's got a buffer, and it's going to take a certain number of images at full frame rate, no matter what you've, what card you've got in there. Um, that's not the actual write speed. The actual write speed is basically how fast it can clear the buffer. Right. Um, and to do that, I'm, I'm shooting like a 30-second interval, and the buffering comes into effect maybe the first second, two seconds, three seconds, depending on the camera. Um, Past that, it's only able to take additional shots at the same rate that it can clear the buffer. Um, so I'm using that, the shot interval after um, the buffer's full, um, to determine uh, the write speed. Um, so you've got the constant image size that's coming off, so that's the megabytes. Um, and then the time is basically the shot interval, and this is averaged over the remaining 30 seconds um, that aren't taken up by the buffering. Got it. Oh, that just speaks right to my nerdy heart. I love it. <laughs> I love that that kind of detail. And I love it, the information that's available on the site. Uh, you have tons of makes and models of the cameras that are on the site, but not everything, obviously. You don't have every single camera that's ever been made <laughs> has gone through your testing. So if there's a camera that is not covered, how would you recommend a photographer go about trying to do this test? Because it's probably a little more practical that they could maybe buy a few different types of cards to test themselves if that camera's not in your site. So how would, how would you recommend they do that? Yeah, exactly. So if you've got a couple memory cards and you want to determine which one's fastest, the easiest way to do it without having to do all this tricky setup is just basically put your camera and aim it at something. Um, it's better if you use a tripod so that your image subject is constant. Right. Like I said, you don't put the lens cap on because that's not going to give you a realistic um, view of what's happening. Um, and then just for, let's say, 15, 20 seconds, 30 seconds, just have an interval. You could use a, a stopwatch, um, a timer, and just see how many shots you can take. Um, and that will show you just right off, you know, I could take 50 shots or 80 shots or 120 shots, um, when you switch the card. Um, that's the easiest way just to tell the difference. Um, you can figure out the file size and how many shots and the buffer and all that. Right, right. Um, if you care about those things, um, but just the, basically how many shots can I take in a given time interval, that's going to give you uh, a pretty good comparison between cards. Okay. Very good. I like it. So that there's a practical way that, that uh, listeners could go test that if their camera's not there. But go check the site, see if your camera's there. By the way, just this wasn't one of my 10 questions. How did you get so many cameras on the site? Are you renting them to, to test them out? A variety of ways. Um, some I've bought, some I've borrowed, some I rent. So yeah, the majority okay. of it's, it's renting, mostly the new ones that come out. It's the fastest and least expensive way to get a hold of them. Okay. All right. Very good. Okay. My third question. In February 2017, Sony announced a new new line of SD cards. I call them the SF-G. That's such an exciting name. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's a brand of cards, and they claim that they're the world's fastest with write speeds of 299 megabytes a second, and that's write speed. So that's usually when there's a number on the card, they're referring to the read speeds that rather than the write, and the write is usually a lot less than the read. And in this case, it is the the write speeds, which is the speed that matters for your camera. That's writing data out to the uh, the, the memory card. Um, so seeing that announcement is kind of what prompted me to, to reach out and get in touch with Jeff, see if he'd be one to come on the show. And these new cards, they're, uh, they're UHS-2 SD cards, which means in theory, any camera with a UHS-2 card slot could write at speeds that high. So Jeff, I know you just this week got your hands on at least one of these new cards. What can you tell us about them? Well, they're definitely fast. I, I did get some in here um, and was running some benchmark testing. Um, they don't quite reach that advertised speed, at least in my testing. Um, it's not too uncommon for a card not to quite right. reach that speed, but they, they do fall a little bit short. Um, I've actually tested the Lexar 2000X cards, and they're actually a little bit faster than the Sony's in my testing. Okay. Um, I test them across 15 different card readers. So, But they're, um, they're fast. Um, the limitation most of the time is going to be your camera. Um, even these UHS-2 cameras, they're not writing it at that full potential. Right. Um, of the ones I've tested, and I've tested about five or six of them so far here, and we're only seeing around 100 to 160 megabytes per second. Um, that's more of the flash, um, like compact flash range um, of, of limits. Um, it's just internally these, these cameras are doing a lot of processing, and they're not necessarily using the the highest throughput in their their protocols to to read and write to these cards um so even with like those those lexar cards we're only seeing like 163 uh, megabytes per second and that's an average in the continuous shooting test um both the, the olympus em1 mark ii and the d500 um topped out about that speed um using uhs2 cards um but who knows what the future will bring maybe the, the cameras will be more efficient it's taken a long time even for uhs1 speeds um to come near their limit in cameras it's taken several years so it, it'll be time before um you'll really see the true potential of these cards in a camera okay so the the 299 were you able to get close to that in the card like a, a computer card reader not the camera that you were able to get a lot closer to that there yeah, I was about 25 to 30 megabytes per second short of that, which okay. is uh, significantly slower compared to some other benchmarks um, on other cards that have been much closer to the uh, stated numbers. Okay. That's good. And um, so do you think the card slot might be more capable? If it's a UHS-2, it has to have met some certain hardware requirements to be classified as that. So could it be like the processors in the camera are the weak link or something like that that's making it not get its full potential out of that card slot? Yeah, well, UHS-2 is an interface. It's just um, a way that the camera can talk to the card. Um, internally, there could be hardware limitations in the data stream. Right. Um, or just whatever. They're not actually um, starting from scratch with these things. They're probably using another supplier. Um, for example, the EM-1 Mark II and D500, they, they both came out very, very similar. So I, I'm going to assume here that they're using the same um, hardware right. um, to interface with the card, and they're just limited by that. And or the, the actual uh, camera itself might be limited internally in its processing capabilities. I tried, to, when I was looking around and I found your site, I was trying to find any information I could about the actual card slot in the camera. 
And is there some manufacturer that's producing them and putting them in, you know, selling them as parts to Canon or Nikon or Fuji or Olympus? And and I couldn't find any <laughs> that kind of detailed information doesn't seem to be available to to tell me what that is. So uh, the testing is what you have to do just to see if and, and really, I guess it wouldn't matter even if I found the, the manufacturer of the card slot, how that card slot gets leveraged by all the other pieces around it as the manufacturer assembles everything together. That's what the total picture looks like. So it's really the testing that has to, to kind of show how this is going to be, right? Yeah, empirically, you have to go through and, and just figure out how it all fits together. Right. Um, you could look at spec sheets all day, but it's not going to tell you what's going to happen in reality. And then, and most cameras still have a UHS-1 slot. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Only the high-end cameras um, are coming out with UHS-2, um, and it's only a few manufacturers that have actually gone that far. Uh, most of them are still using UHS-1, and so these these cards that we're talking about, UHS-2, and these these amazing speeds, it's not going to make any difference in those in those cameras. You're still basically at UHS-1 speeds, which are like 100 megabytes per second. It's going to be um, the fastest you could possibly get um, using one of those cards. So you could buy a UHS-2 card, and it's fully backwards compatible. It doesn't slow anything down to get those. Uh, they're going to work fine. They just You shouldn't expect it to work better than a UHS-1 card, right? Yeah, exactly. Unless your camera supports UHS-2, there's really no point in putting that card in there. The, the only exception to that is in your workflow, maybe you want to download your images faster. You could get a sure. UHS-2 card reader, stick that card in there, and you could download your images about three times faster um, than UHS-1. Sure. And that's good. That's a, that's a good point. Now, for listeners that have been listening for a while, I recommend you don't do that using Lightroom. I don't know what Lightroom has done, what Adobe has done in Lightroom to make it slow, but use the nat the native operating system. If it's Windows, use Windows Explorer. And if it's Mac, use Finder to copy them off. Then it seems to like leverage the full speed of the card reader. Whereas if you do it in Lightroom, for some reason, it really slows it down. So if you get a fast card and a fast reader, then don't use Lightroom to copy your images to your computer. Okay, now, next one, number four here, my next question. So as I mentioned already, my first real camera was a Canon 60D I bought in 2011, and the camera was first released in 2010. So the card slot that Canon put into that camera, it was at least a year old by the time they got it in there, and, or when I bought the camera, it was at least a year old already. And, um, you know, the Canon manufacturer, in, they're not known for making equipment um, leveraging the most cutting edge of technology. In fact, Canon, their brand is representing equipment that doesn't fail. That's kind of their calling card of the thing that you want to go to. If you want a camera that's going to be pretty as guaranteed as you can get, that's going to capture the moment. So you're like at the Olympics or I don't know, whatever event that can't possibly re be reproduced, uh, a wedding, then, then they're known for they're putting together the things and, and, and making a, a quality product that's going to just work. And they're not going to be as worried about having the very fastest card slot that's in the camera. Um, so my question for you in, in going through all that background, is there a camera manufacturer that's doing the best in getting like the, the most speed out of a flash card? And is, is that consistently um, showing higher performance in your testing? Well, actually, Canon has come a long way. Nikon has, too, um, in their use of their SD slots. Um, today, you can put a UHS-1 card or UHS card in there, and you'll get pretty good speed no matter which end of the range you're in in their DSLRs, the low end, the high end. Um, 
The newer technologies like UHS-2, um, there's only a couple of manufacturers that actually tried that. Uh, Olympus and Fuji are the two that have um, started adding that to their cameras. Um, we also see like Nikon and Canon in their flagship models um, supporting XQ, XQD um, right. for Nikon and CFast like in the 1DX Mark II. Um, they've been able to harness the power, but as far as down the line in more of the consumer-oriented cameras, <clears throat> um, I'd say Nikon and camera, Canon are doing a pretty good job. Okay, but Olympus and Fuji kind of stand above the rest as doing a better job of supporting fast SD cards. Yeah, they've added UHS-2. Um, one thing about Olympus, though, their implementation of UHS-1 is not using the fastest mode. So in some of these Olympus cameras that take UHS-2 cards, um, you're actually better off doing that instead of a fast UHS-1 card. It's kind of it's a strange gray area that they've created there. Um, <laughs> but you can check out the test results and, and see what's going on um, as far as, as which card um, would be fastest in that camera. Wow, that is very interesting. Olympus has a UHS two card reader, but if you put a UHS one card in it, it won't have the it won't maximize that that uh, capability of that card. Yeah, that's right. Wow, <laughs> that's incredible. Okay, so you Olympus owners, make sure you buy a UHS two card. I guess <laughs> it's going to be the it's going to make a big difference in your camera. All right. Uh, I have five more questions that I want to ask you, but first I need to fit in a, a quick ad here. Um, it's an ad for Improve Photography Plus. A subscription to improvephotographyplus.com gives you an unlimited access to everything Improve Photography has ever created, including video training, Lightroom presets, and access to many of the hosts on the Improve Photography Podcast Network. It's only $19.95 a month to subscribe, and you can start your free trial today by heading over to improvephotographyplus.com. I want to thank Jim and Improve Photography Plus for making this episode possible. All right, my fifth question for you. Here on the Photo Taco and Improved Photography Podcast, we've long recommended Lexar and SanDisk. We already talked a little bit about this kind of at the beginning of the show here. Um, but we recommend them because they're consistently high quality. Don't often get one that's dead on arrival or dies within the first year. Doesn't mean it can't happen because every, every single manufactured thing there is is going to have lemons that come out but less chance in general with those specific brands. We also really love the warranty and free recovery swap software that comes with the like pro versions of those cards from both of those brands. So my question for you though is purely from a speed perspective, is there a manufacturer or two you recommend over others? Uh, well, both of those are actually good choices. Um, one thing you get with a Lexar or a SanDisk card is you're buying from a company that produces flash memory. Um, a lot of these so-called brands out there, they're not actually making the memory chips. Um, so SanDisk and Lexar are ones that have access to the highest quality chips, the latest technology. Um, they know what they're doing. And Sandus in particular is the industry leader in sales. Um, and they have been consistently good about producing fast cards and also meeting the speeds that they state. Um, it's probably consistently in all the UHS-1 uh, testing I've done, they've always been the fastest. Their Extreme Pro is just like nobody can touch it. It's it's the top of the charts almost everywhere. Um, when we get into UHS-2, Sandus makes a pretty good card. Lexar is a little bit ahead there. Um, but both of those are a good place to start. 
Um, it's funny because those are the two brands that I'd always seen in the past recommended, and that's right. what sort of got me into this. And they're consistently good. Um, there's other ones out there um, that are nearly as good, um, maybe a little bit cheaper. Um, but you want to stay with one of the established brands. You don't want to buy some strange off-brand um, that you've never heard of. Um, that's probably not a good place to spend your money because – if you care about your images, then you probably want to buy something that's got a good track record. Okay, and that was going to be the sixth question, and that was if there's cards to specifically stay away from, either strictly from a speed perspective or because you put these things through the ringer, even from more of like an endurance perspective, are there some brands that, that are just don't, don't do it because it's not worth it? Nothing in particular. I mean, I haven't really found a brand that just makes crap products. Okay. Um, I don't tend to buy things on off brands or, or strange brands only because they're hard to find and you can't hardly buy them anywhere. I actually had someone contact me that bought a camera and the camera store sold him this card and he paid an incredible amount of money for it. And it's supposed to be a really fast card. But it turns out it wasn't. So you got to be careful when a dealer tries to throw something in or sneak something in there, um, upsell you on something. If you haven't heard of this brand, that's one of the major ones, you, you probably don't want to be spending your money there. Okay. I know one brand that I've personally had a lot of trouble with, and they don't do it anymore, was the Amazon Basic brand. And uh, I don't know. I'm sure they just slapped a label on top of some other card that was made somewhere, but... Boy, those were consistently bad <laughs> as I got them. They they seemed slow, but they also seemed to die really fast. And that's probably the reason that I don't believe they even have them made available anymore. So that would be the one from my own experience. It's anecdotal mostly because I, I didn't have that many of them. But every one of them I got were not good. So, <laughs> all right. Number seven. Question number seven. In the fact section of your website, you have some information about fake cards and I've given the advice on the podcast here many times that if something is too good to be true, then it usually is. And one of those things would be like the price being just unbelievably cheap for a card. That goes for, for buying any and all camera gear, including CF and SD cards. So beyond the price that's too low to, too low to believe, how do you recommend listeners can stay away from fake cards, given that we're almost always going to be buying them kind of online, sight unseen, we can't inspect the card to try to detect that it's fake? Well, you want to buy it from a trusted source, um, whether that's one of the photography sites like Adorama or B&H. Um, they'll sell you quality products and you'll get what you're paying for. Um, Amazon's an okay source. If it's sold by Amazon, you want to stay away from third-party sellers, especially ones who don't have much of a track record and are selling things incredibly cheap. Right. You never know what you're getting if you're going to get anything. Um, eBay sellers also, they could be selling some off-brands, some counterfeit cards. Um, there's a lot of counterfeiting that goes on, especially in China. Um, if you're walking down the street and you buy something, it might not be what they say it is. Um, so anything that you buy off Amazon or or eBay from a third-party seller is going to be suspect. Um, that's not to say that you might get a good card, just that it's probably something you want to avoid when you could just buy from a reputable source and not waste your time trying to save a dollar or two. Right. I love it when Amazon, they frequently have these uh, deal of the day or flash deals on SD cards. It seems to happen 
Well, it hasn't happened actually in the last few months as, as far as I can remember, but it used to be about once a month or so, I'd see SanDisk or Lexar branded cards. That would be like a flash deal. And uh, boy, that's a great opportunity to go pick up a card and save a little bit of money when they when they have those. So you can watch out for those. That is specific from Amazon. It's a trusted seller then because it's Amazon themselves, not a third party. All right, there, uh, number eight, there's all kinds of symbols that are all over these memory cards these days. And it, it's really confusing. Some of it has to do with like legacy numbers that used to be a really important thing uh, years ago. And as the cards advance and move forward, then there's new symbols and new numbers that mean that, yeah, it still supports or works with the old stuff, but now there's new things, new metrics. Um, can you provide a magic decoder ring for, for that and talk about how you would recommend a photographer go about choosing a memory card for their camera today? Sure. Yeah. Well, the SD Association hasn't made it easy. They keep coming out with all these new standards and classes. And there's just a mess of them because you look at a card and it's got five or six different symbols yeah. on it. Um, so we've got the SD Speed Class. That's old and no one really recommends that anymore. So they're replacing it with UHS Speed Class. That's usually the letter U and it's got a number one or three in it. And just in the last year, we've seen video speed class come out. And what video speed class does, it sort of unifies the whole system. So you can kind of ignore the other ones and just look at video speed. Um, it, these are most important if you're shooting video. Because um, with video, you have a continuous recording going on, and it's got a given bit rate and a maximum. And you need your card to support at least that. Otherwise, you're going to start dropping frames, and the video is not going to work. Um, so as a, a photographer that's into still photography, doing action sports, you care more about a maximum speed. And these are the things that usually the manufacturer doesn't promote the write speed, they're promoting the read speed. So yeah. if you've got a card, it's got 90, 95 megabytes per second, and that's not going to be the right speed. Very few of them actually put the right speed on the card. Some of them don't even have it in their advertising materials at all. Right. So what you want to do is try and find that right speed if possible from the manufacturer. Um, if you can, um, maybe you can find a benchmark online, um, like, like camera memory speed. You can go on there and see benchmarks, um, see camera testing, see how cards actually perform. Um, but if you don't have that, if you're just blindly looking at cards, um, it can be hard to tell. Um, but when you're shopping for a card, um, it might not even be important to you, um, the actual write speed. It depends on how you shoot. So if you're a landscape photographer and you're going to set up for a shot and take one shot in five minutes, the write speed doesn't matter so much. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're shooting action and you're worried about continuous shooting, oh, I've got to shoot at 10 frames per second for like five seconds to catch this action, then you definitely want to find a card that's fast, that has a fast write speed. And um, also your workflow. Do you care about how long it's going to take down their images? Do you come back with 500 images and you want them on your computer now? Well, then you want a card that has a fast uh, read speed so that you can read the data off that card quickly. Um, and those two things are what you want to look for, the read and the write speed. And the other things, um, capacity, card capacity. People ask, you know, should I buy small cards? Many of them. One big card. It actually is a personal preference. Um, some photographers tend to like shooting one photo shoot with one card and switch to another card for a different photo shoot and as an organization tool. Um, so as long as the capacity buy fits that need, that's fine. Other people just want to stick a card in there and go record vacation for a week. Right. Um, 
that's another choice. Um, these cards are actually very reliable. Um, you might hear stories about cards failing, corrupted images, um, all that can happen. But the thing you do by switching cards constantly, having all these different cards, you're at more risk of losing a card or misplacing it or accidentally formatting the wrong card. Um, so it's really personal preference and how you want to uh, choose a capacity card. Um, and the other thing is budget. Um, if you're going to penny pinch, um, maybe you can get away with a slower card. You don't need the super fast card. Maybe you don't need to spend twice as much on a card that's not really going to be faster in your camera. Um, and also, if you have other devices, um, you can actually put a micro SD card in an adapter and stick in your camera. It behaves exactly like a full-size card. There's no physical difference in it. The adapter is just a connector difference. So let's say you're going to have a, a tablet or a smartphone that's got a card slot and you want to go on vacation and be able to stick your card in there, why don't you consider a micro SD card? They're not too much more expensive. Sometimes they're on the same price actually. And you could use it for both that way. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the symbols, you, you'd say look for the, the U, the big U on there and like a, a one or a three inside it. That's kind of the, one of the bigger things to look for. That's one thing that'll tell you at least uh, the card can record at least a given speed. The UHS speed class U1, um, that's at least 10 megabytes per second. U3 is 30 megabytes per second. These are like thresholds. They're not maximum speeds. So they really don't tell you that much about the card, um, just that it can do at least 30. Um, the video speed class thing is, is a very similar system. It's a letter V and then a 10, 30, 60, 90, um, except that they're all V30s now. They're not advertising V60s, V90s, because it's sort of UHS-2 territory. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's just all very cryptic, and for me, <laughs> these is. numbers aren't important <laughs> because they're not telling you really what the card can do. So um, I'd, I'd say for most photography purposes, other than video, um, just try and find the maximum write speed. Yeah. Um, usually the faster cards the manufacturer will have that number. It might not be on the card. It might be in their advertising material. But that's probably a better representation of the true speed of the card. Okay, so do a little research behind it. If you're looking at one on Amazon or B&H, go find out what the, the write speed is of the card. See if you can find that out. But um, is there any guidance then? I guess cost, it just varies so much by capacity that you can't really tell by the price either whether or not this is a, a going to be a good one yeah price doesn't tell you a whole lot um in general they'll be in the same price range for a, a certain capacity um if you care about dollars per gigabyte you can divide it um i've got charts on the site that compare the price and dollars per gigabyte for each each different capacity and they're usually in the same range um so it comes down mostly to personal preference and what size you you need right Okay, number nine. My, uh, I imagine with all this testing that you've done, you've seen cards fail quite a bit. Any signs? This was actually something that was a lot of questions listeners were, were asking. Is there any sign that the card is wearing out? So something you can watch for and say, oh boy, that's an indicator that this card might be beginning to struggle. I probably better stop using it. Well, the few that I've had fail usually fail very early in their life. If not dead on arrival, then within the first benchmark test or something, they failed. Um, if a card is is generally not been a problem, it'll continue probably being okay. That's my experience. Um, the first sign that something's wrong is going to be corrupted images. Yeah. Um, you're reading your card and there's an error. Um, 
th that type of thing can be a good indicator that there might be something wrong with the card. Um, there could also be other causes for corrupted images. It could be a card reader problem. It could be a computer problem, even right. software. There's been Nikon was horrible about having this transfer software that would corrupt its raw images, so you couldn't even open them. Um, and it could be the camera too. Um, there's been issues with cameras where the there's something physically wrong with the card slot or with other hardware that could be causing corrupted images. Um, but if you can eliminate that, like let's say you swap cards and suddenly you're not getting corrupted images, and you put the the suspect card back in, you are that card is probably one that's going to be need to be replaced. Um, there are software you can run on your computer to test your cards. Um, H2 Test W is a Windows program. Um, there's F3 for Mac. And what it does is it basically writes data to the entire card and then tries to read the entire card and see if there's any errors. Um, that's something you can do if you suspect the card might be faulty, um, but it's not going to definitively tell you that this card's not going to fail. So if you have sporadic problems with the card, it's probably best to not use that one anymore. One of the most common things I've seen listeners uh, post examples of would be that they, they suddenly, as they pull images off the camera, they get images that look like bluish, purple, weird, uh, almost like your white balance is completely off, but you can't really see the scene either. And it's just that the image got corrupted as it came across, and then the, the raw processor has no idea how to un properly interpret the data. So it looks really funny. Green, pink, blue, I've seen all kinds of variations of it. So if, if that's what happens, if you go pull off the, the pictures and that's what it looks like, personally for me, I would never touch that card again. <laughs> They're cheap enough. It just doesn't make sense when you've had a problem like that. And you could try to prove it out. Like you said, Jeff, you could you could put in a different card and, and see maybe it's your camera. That would be even worse. Or the card reader, try different. You know, you, you, could, you should do that to try to isolate it. But if you had, I think, even one time that you had something like that happen and you can kind of eliminate it being either the camera or the card reader, then, um, then I wouldn't use that card again. I would just toss it aside and go buy a new one. <laughs> it's not worth it to lose your images because you're skimping and, and saving money on not buying another SD card. All right, number 10, my 10th question. What are the top three to five things that you'd recommend to take care of SD cards to try to avoid problems like we just described? Sure. Well, SD cards are actually really resilient. Um, the SD Association made all these standards for temperature, water, um, shock, bending, all these standards that an SD card is supposed to meet. So pretty much any card you buy is supposed to meet all these standards. Some manufacturers might tout them more than others, but they actually all should meet these basic standards. So it's really not a problem physically. Um, the few things physically that I have seen happen to cards is the case might break um, around the pins, the little mm -hmm. plastic might break right. away, the, the lock switch might break. Um, the biggest problem physically is going to be snapping the card in half if somehow you do that. Um, that pretty much means it's gone and you cannot recover that data. If you, if you snap it, you've broken the silicon chip inside and you're not going to be able to get anything out of it. Um, but just generally physically, there's not much you can do to a card other than that that's going to hurt it. Um, you don't need to defragment SD cards. Um, it's similar to like an SSD drive. It's flash memory. It, it's not some physical disk that you're writing to. Um, it doesn't get fragmented. Um, you don't need to do secure erases or overwrite the card. That's actually kind of detrimental because right. you're just using up write cycles. These do have a very long life, but it's limited. And just doing all these things, there's just no point in it um, because it's physically a different architecture than other previous uh, drive mechanisms. Um, it's best to always format the card in the camera. 
And that's because the camera is going to require a certain format. It's going to want to write its configuration files, folder structure on there. Um, if you stick it in the computer and format it, it might be okay, but you never know. You might be formatting with the wrong format. Um, it's just always best to put that card in the camera and format it. And I recommend doing that every time when you go out to shoot. Just put the card in there, take your pictures, and when you're done taking your pictures, transfer them to a computer, and then just start over, reformat the card, and just go again. Um, that that's basically the ideal situation. There's other things um, you can do in formatting the card or editing on a computer, and it's just not a good idea to to get into potential issues when it's just simple to just format in the camera and just go. Right. Um, the other thing that we mentioned here is the lifespan of the card, and you might worry, you know, am I going to wear it out? How long is it going to last me? Um, well, flash memory has a life cycle, minimum life cycle, over 10,000 write cycles. Some of it has way more than that. Um, and that's writing the card completely, like if you're going to fill the whole thing up. Um, internally, the card has a controller that takes care of evening out the use of the card. It's called wear leveling, and it makes sure that you don't overwrite the same portion of the card over and over and wear it out. It's already doing that internally. Um, there's nothing you need to worry about that. And with being able to write the same thing, the same to the same card, ten thousand times. That's going to be like thirty years of using the card every day and filling it. That's not something a typical photographer is going to run into. Um, so as far as being outdated, well, the technology is going to be long outdated before the card is physically going to wear out somehow. Mm -hmm. Okay. Good. I like that. All right. I think we do have just a few minutes to try to run through. We'll just, we won't spend much time on these. We're just going to answer some questions that the listeners had. Uh, Cause I think these are good. I saw lots of listeners asking these questions. So that's why they made this list. And, I, and we have like five of them. So first one is, will security scans and x-rays damage the card? No, they're not going to be affected by like an airport x-ray scan, um, security scans like that. That's basically part of the SD standard is that it's not going to be affected by that. So very different from film where there were some film types that would have a problem. Some of the negatives would be destroyed by x-rays. So yeah, with uh, SD cards, CF cards, you don't have to worry about it. How long will flash save data without being po uh, powered on? Well, that's kind of a theoretical question. It's not really something that's been tested uh, definitively. Um, it can last for years without having power. Like if you just set the card aside and come back years later, you should still she'll be able to retain that data. Um, as far as the card itself, it has to be powered to write data to it. It's got to be in your camera. If, if somehow you pull the card out of the camera while it's still writing, you're going to lose that. Right. You'll lose the images that are being written because it, it needs power to write, but it's, it will retain the data for several years. Okay, so shouldn't be a concern there either. Uh, it, although probably not a good strategy to do like long-term storage of your photos if you as, as like your backup, your main backup or anything. That's probably not a great idea. All right, number three, uh, how does mixing different speed cards in a dual slot camera impact the right speeds? Um, that's going to depend on the actual camera. Um, but in general, a lot of the testing I've done of dual slot cameras, there's really no benefit in using two cards. There's different image modes where you can write to one card and when that's full, go to the next one. Well, that's right. not affected by speed. Um, you can write raw to one and JPEG to the other. Um, most of these cameras really doesn't make a difference. Sometimes it's faster just writing it all to the, f the first card slot. Um, and the other one, writing backup mode, the same images to both cards. If you've got a fast card and a slow card, well, the slow card's going to slow it down because it's got to write the image to both cards. So if you're using both card slots, say, in a backup mode, you want to make sure they're both 
fast enough to satisfy your needs. Um, the only exception is if you're writing raw to one, JPEG to the other. It's possible you could use a little slower card for the JPEG. Right. But like I said, there's really no benefit in speed because the way internally the camera is working, it's not writing the, the same thing. It's not writing to both cards concurrently, right? It's one and the other. Um, so unless it, it fits your workflow, there's really no point in using multiple cards. Okay, is it faster to offload photos directly from the camera via a USB cord or to use a card reader? Yeah, well, what I've found in pretty much every camera is the card reader is going to be faster yeah. um, using a separate card reader. Um, some of these cameras are still using USB 2 for their connection, and USB 2 is limited to like 35 megabytes per second. Um, even the few that have USB 3, they're not going that much faster, maybe 50, 60 megabytes per second. You're, you're going to be better off with a separate card reader. If the speed matters to you, um, just use an external reader or use possibly the card slot in your laptop. Um, or computer, maybe it's got one built in. Usually those are pretty good, um, but it might not be. Um, again, you can run benchmarks and, and just test to see how fast it is. But in general, an external card reader is going to be much faster than using the USB cable. And the, the type of card reader also matters. And Jeff's got some good information out on his site about some card readers that he's used uh, to test how fast it can use that. And it, it can make a big difference, right, on the, on the card reader itself, the external card reader you plug into your computer. Yeah, definitely. I've, I've tested, you know, dozens of them yeah. and that some are better than others. And, um, if you've got an old card reader, chances are, um, it's outdated and a new one could be much faster and really help you download those photos a lot faster. Okay. And the fifth one, the last listener question, does it hurt the memory cards to delete photos from the camera, either to make some room or to take advantage of the time to do some in-camera calling? So this is that use case where you've taken a bunch of pictures and either you ran out of room and you need to make more room or just because you have the time, maybe you, you have some downtime in between shooting, you're going to go and delete the obvious bad ones. Does that hurt the card? No, it doesn't hurt the card. It should be safe to do that um, on the camera. There's not much chance of, of corrupting it. Um, in any way just by using the camera functions yeah okay all right well so thank you so much jeff for coming and joining the show today it was really great i think this is going to be some excellent information for the listeners to use now besides going to cameramemoryspeed.com any other places that you would like to send people to check you out yeah i've got a facebook page it's camera memory speed um you can check that out post on there occasionally um or my email is camera memory speed at gmail okay very good. Thank you again, Jeff. I really appreciate it. All right, that's it for this episode. I hope you all enjoyed it. Quick reminder, you can suggest topics for the show through the Facebook group. You can go to facebook.com slash groups slash photo taco through Instagram messaging at photo taco podcast or, you know, tag the, the show in your photos if you want me to take a look or through email where the address is phototacopodcast at gmail.com. No question is too basic or too complicated for the show. If I don't know the answer, I will either bring an expert like Jeff onto the show to speak to it, or I will research it until I know enough about it to speak to it intelligently. Don't forget to check out the other podcasts on the Improved Photography Network. We have Portrait Session, Tripod, brand new show called Latitude about travel photography, and of course, Improve Photography Podcast. Also take time to head over to the mothership. That's improvephotography.com, a constant updates of news, gear, and other photo tip articles. It is the best way to improve your photography. Views expressed on this program by independent host guests and callers do not necessarily reflect their views of improved photography LLC or its advertisers. Some links mentioned on this program are affiliate links where a commission is earned. Olay!